Hello, City Hope. Everybody doing good? It's good to see you. Thanks for being with us. And I want to say to all of our people at every campus that served yesterday, thank you so much. Um, uh, it, it was, I saw a lot of the groups and talked to a lot of people. It was really neat to hear a lot of stories and see people uh, just involved in our community. So thank you so much. Very proud of you for what you're doing. Uh, I want to begin uh, this series today. Uh, as you know, we were supposed to last week, if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online and watch that message. Uh, there, there's a reason it was delayed, and I'll kind of unfold that in this message today. If you want to track along, the, the theme verse for this whole series is Luke 6:38. But I'm going to look at a story in Matthew 5 in just a few minutes. And, you know, to be able to do this, I, I'm going to need a little more introduction to lay it out. I, I did this series six or seven years ago, and so a few months ago, I felt like I needed to do it again. I had planned to do something on marriage, uh, but I, I really had it in my heart to do this. And as I got into this, I realized uh, I'm supposed to do this, but it's like God changed it completely. Everything just rearranged. And so I told the guys, I said, it's, it's different. Now, now I know why. As things are unfolding in our country and what's going on, I feel like a lot of this is fitting in so succinctly with what God has planned. So. Uh, he, I, I really hope you will capture the introduction to understand where we're going with this. So, and you know, after hearing the title of the series, can anything be the key to everything? That's the question, and the answer is yes. Giving is the key to everything. And it seems to me that much has been said about giving that is simplistic. Uh, it's true things about God's blessings, but too few things about his heart on the subject giving. My goal in this series will be to return to the simple, not, not as superficial, but as rooted in what's central and foundational in his heart for giving. Most of our human quest for sufficiency and security lures us to quick answers. We all want a quick fix, a quick answer to our needs, whether it's a material need or emotional or spiritual. My view when, for, for when most approach the subject of having enough, uh, it, what it takes to live enough to, you know, to live life, it's the, the view to me is simplistic. And at, l- let me give you the definition I'm using for simplistic. To reduce a matter to a false simplicity by ignoring other factors. And I think that it's because we separate the requirements of character from the pursuit of plenty. Even among church-going Christians, the path to abundance is too often indicated by formulas and rather than a formation. And a formula, I, what I mean by that is offering ways to wealth without calling the soul to change. God does want each of us to have m- more than enough, and, and our Creator is a living God who desires our abundance as well as adequacy and our prosperity as well as sufficiency. But I don't think He offers this possibility on demand or without returning to the simple. So let me give you my definition of simple. An original order of innocence without confusion. An original order of innocence without confusion. So the simple fact is God's created us and given us all things richly to enjoy, but he's not tied that enjoyment to riches. He's linked it to a greater reality. And and, and I could not have entitled this series, The Key to Everything, if everything only related to the realm of material or the financial that would have been too simplistic. Remember what that means, to reduce a matter to a false simplicity by ignoring other factors. So in this series, we're going to look at the dynamic link between God's life 
fountainhead of abundant life, his life finances between, and, and, and we're going to also look at God's promises, his power and forgiveness, his release of everything else in life, including material sufficiency, if we learn to use the key to everything. Here's the theme verse, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom, your lap, for with that same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this has probably happened to most of you. If you've ever had a key made and you go to use the key and it didn't work, well, the reason it didn't work is because one of the teeth wasn't ground down properly. So in talking about the key to everything, I think we should know the teeth of the key. So that's what we're going to be looking at for four weeks, the teeth of the key. And today, this first tooth, this key, this week we're calling give out. Give out. The key to everything includes giving. And everything, it, it, you know, when you say give everything, most of us, there's a fear that comes in. For our, our fears taught us that to give anything, you're left with less. But if you give everything, you're left with nothing. And that is the basis of a deep fear of self-protectiveness, of a soul sickness related to separation from God's heart on giving. So let me use this analogy. Once rebirth of the human spirit occurs, you're, you're born again, then God puts seeds of possibilities of restoration and full growth into you spiritually. But it takes time. Biologically, it takes time. It takes nine months in the womb, and then at least a dozen year, years, 12 years, 13 years old, before the growth of the human being, that you can start thinking about caring for someone and taking care of yourself. So spiritual growth, your new birth in Christ, is only is a starting place for growth in life. And, and, and so we need to learn to live in the spirit of God's releasing grace. And that grace in life causes us to give. It causes us, because we've received, so it causes us to want to give out. Forgive because we've been forgiven. To, to serve others because we've been entrusted with resources and time and talents and influence. The Spirit of God's releasing grace creates the foundation of all giving. So we draw from the truth. The highest principle is love gives. It's God's love that not only mandates his giving and forgiving because his nature could do nothing less, but it's his love which also mandates that those who are born into his family do the same thing. So this weekend, I want to look at the church. And if you don't know this, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. If you're a believer, if you're born again, you're part of the church, the body of Christ. I believe the church as a whole, we need to rediscover our roots and get back to the early principles because the world needs us right now. Now, they don't know they need us, and if we said that to the world, they would say, no, we don't need you. But let me say it this way. What you're looking around in this room, every campus, you guys in Mobile and Foley and Baymanette, you guys look around the campus because I, I want you to understand that, that this is not church. That, this is part of church. You know, but just coming into this building is not where the entire ministry should happen. Now, we like to come in, we like to see each other, we like to worship, we like to, you know, study the Scripture and all that. But if this is all there is to it, wouldn't you think there'd be something else? If all Jesus did was come and save us so that we could somehow find the right group that kind of fits us and hang out with on Sunday and we just wait for heaven, is that all there is to it? You know that Jesus said to his disciples, hey, after, before he left, I want you to go to the upper room in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when he comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. In other words, I've got an assignment for you. 
and, and your hope is in heaven. Th this is not your home. You're traveling through this, but your destination is heaven. That's where you want to go. We're here with an assignment, and I'm not sure we're really fulfilling the assignment. Now, the story I want to look at is in Matthew 5, and, and Jesus is going to say something and, and, and what we're going to look at in the time that we have today, I, you can't completely wrap your arms around this big picture. I'm just going to take two elements of this big picture and just focus on those. So follow me in Matthew 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives life to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So if you're a follower of Christ, here's what he's saying. If you're a follower of Christ, then you need to be yourself. You need to be salt and you need to be light. So if the church can figure this out, if the body of Christ can figure this out and get off the sidelines and get in the game with the right identity, then here's the promise you have. He said his kingdom will come and his will will be done. In other words, his assignment in your life can be fulfilled. His assignment for the church can be fulfilled. So let's look at those two elements. We are light. Now, what I want to do is you, you hear me talk a lot about types and shadows. I, I'm going to look again at types and shadows. I want you to understand that what I'm talking about this, it's the third layer of Scripture. Scripture has three layers, and the third layer is the type that is called revelation or the prophetic layer, and this is where you find types and, sh types and shadows, and I talk about them. I'm going to talk about them again today. In Genesis 1, we know God created light. On the first day, he said, let there be light, but it wasn't until the fourth day that he created the sun and the moon. So how can there be light when there's no sun or moon? Well, God doesn't need the things we think he needs. Uh, if he needs light, he just speaks light into existence, and, and he doesn't have to have a sun or a moon to have light. Now, as we look at this, creation is basically a prophetic calendar of man. God designed this. The Bible says that a day is a thousand years as a thousand years as a day. So just remember, a day is like a thousand years to God. So God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. Now, the earth can be thousands or millions of years old, but according to Scripture, mankind is 6,000 years old. So the first 2,000 years, you get to Noah. And then from Noah, the next 2,000 years, you, you end up with, here's Christ being born. And then the third 2,000, the, the third one is, is you have the birth of the church, and you fast forward, and here we are today. The last 2,000 years, and by the way, there will not be another 2,000 years, but the last 2,000 years is what Joel said. He said you'll be living in the last day. So we're living in the last days. On the fourth day of creation, God created two lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. Now, if you understand the calendar of God, you'll find that at the end of the fourth, the fourth years or the fourth day, Jesus was born. What does this mean? Well, Jesus comes on the scene. God's son, what does he say? He says in John 8, 12, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So now we know who the, the light of the day is, it's Jesus Christ. And then on the fourth day of creation, God created the sun. He also created the moon. So he has these two great lights in the heavens, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. So if Jesus is the light of the day, then who's the light of the night? The moon. Well, in our text, Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world. So this great light 
is now his, he identifies with two lights. In other words, the type and shadow is the S-U-N is the type of Christ and the moon is the type of the church. You say, well, okay, I, that, that's easy because Jesus is the one who lights my day and lights my path. And, but what about the moon? Well, the moon in the natural looks like a light, but, but it's, it's not a light. It's a mirror. It reflects the sun. So the direct proportion of our relationship with Christ the Son is the amount of life we give off in our world. In other words, let me say it this way. If there is no relationship, then there's no reflection. If there's no relationship, there's no reflection. So everything you and I, the church, had to give to the world is only a reflection of what Jesus has already given to us. So anytime anything gets in our way of that light, then here's what's going on. It's, it's, it's hindering the light from shining brightly. Things like sin, complacency, compromise, offenses, hate, anger, racism. If you move, the, if you move those things out of the way, more light, the world's going to see more light. And if you, if you have no relationship with Jesus, you have nothing to bring in the room. So the Bible says in Genesis 1:14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day, the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Here's what he just said. Okay, there's going to be natural signs. There's going to be seasons and days and months and years. And he's saying this prophetically, that the assignment of the church is to cycle in seasons, bring in certain days, certain months, certain seasons, and that brings change to your community, your nation. If we, the church, understand our role in the plan of the living God, we can affect changes. We can affect seasons by what's going on in our marriage, what's going on in our home, what's going on in our community. And so we must seek him. That's what we talked about last week, Second Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people, which are called by my name. So if we'll seek him and pray, we can help change the tone and change the seasons. Now, Politicians and international leaders, the armies and the generals, they can move the world, but they move it in a different location, direction. God says there's one force on the earth, and as long as that force is here, then sin cannot prevail, and the church is that force. The church is a real force, the believer, and the church is the only thing holding back the, everything Satan wants to do on the earth. The church, the believers, we're holding it back. So don't underestimate the power of the church, the power of believers over this globe. The reason the world made such a drastic turn in its first 300 years after the church is born is because for those 300 years, the people that, that started the church, they started praying, and they began, and the world started changing. In other words, let me say it this way. The church has been called to work the night shift and lead, G and lead people to Jesus in the dark. And at times, the only light in the room is the light that you brought in. You say, Pastor, is the church really that powerful? Well, it should be, and it definitely can be. The church has the power to clean up the present wickedness. We talked about last week. The, the scripture uses the word lawlessness, which means moral anarchy. That's what we have. We have moral anarchy. The church has the power to clean up the present. Well, how can we clean it up? Because the word says, because upon this rock, Jesus Christ, God said, I will build my church and darkness shall, shall not prevail against it. Darkness can't stop this church. Th that's our assignment. In other words, we have the reflective power of the sun, S-O-N, to do it. And Satan, yes, we know he does his best work at night in the dark, until the watchmen show up when the watchmen show up the light walks up and when you do you expose what he's up to we are light the second assignment he said we're salt what does that mean well 
The church is to restore abundant life to people in their community. Our purpose is to comfort people, encourage, reconcile, build up. But, but salt can be looked at as loyalty to people, to just helping people. Be loyal to those who are walking in your world, those who are downtrodden, those who are struggling, all these different areas so that life can be restored to them. We are salt so we can affect the change of the world. And I know you're sitting there, you're thinking, okay, I've been watching the news and, and I see what's going on in our world and, and then I know what's going on in my house. I can't even keep up with washing clothes and getting the kids to school on time or, or pay the bills on time or, or, or get a job. How in the world can, can, can I change the world? I don't have any extra time to be salty in my world. I mean, I, I, I can't even manage, manage my own world. But, but understand this, God has given this assignment to us to be light and, uh, light and salt. He said, you are the salt of the earth. It doesn't say you just do salty things. You, you don't just do salty things. You're a believer. If you're a believer, you are salt. The secret to this is what Paul said. He said, Christ lives in you. That gives you the assurance of being salt. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go in the community, wherever you're going, he's walking with you. You're salt. But sometimes we don't feel salty, so we just try to keep our heads above water. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to try to tread lightly, be quiet, do this and this. And, and, and it's not about us getting the attitude, of I've got to hammer down every day and say, well, I'm going to be salty today. No, you are salt. You're salt. Well, how? Because Paul said a to abide in Christ. How do I abide in Christ? I become a believer. I love his word. I, I, I read his word. I worship him. I pray to him. And I, if he's in us and I'm in him, that makes us salt. And Jesus comes along and he says, well, if, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Now, I mean, we, we know what sodium chloride is. And, and I, you know, I have a little bit here. I'm just going to pour it in my hand. And, and you know, that sodium chloride, that's salt. It, it can't stop being salt. It's salt. I mean, it, 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 so if we're salt, we, we can't stop being salt. And Jesus is actually asking the question, if you're not salty, then you lost your saltiness? Or were you ever really my disciple? Were you even salt to begin with? And, and Jesus asked, how can it regain its saltiness again? So let, let me give you a good example, just real simple, okay? So I want you to answer this by raising your hand. Anybody in this room and all the campuses, anybody, you're in love? It's better than the last group. <laughs> okay, let me do it this way. Anybody ever been in love? <laughs> anybody want to be in love? Okay. So if you are in love and you can remember the things that you would do when you were dating, because when you're dating, that's the process of falling in love. And you know, guys, you may have even gone shopping during a football game. Ladies, you may have even gone hunting, you know, put on the gear. Do you know why you like doing it? It's because when you fell in love with someone, you often fall in love with what they love. Jesus loves people, all people, every color, every nation, every creed. He loves people. He loves people in your city. He loves people in our nation. So if you say, and I don't think I'm very salty. Well, how do I know if I'm salty? Well, I don't really care about my neighbor. He's a jerk. I don't really care about the politician because they're all jerks. I don't really care about the jail ministry. They should do their time. I, I don't really care about the nursing home. It makes me uneasy to go in and see all those old people. I, I don't really care about the poor children. I don't really care about the, the poor. You're not salty. And Jesus said, well, how, how, how can you be made salty again? And here's the answer. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. 
Because when you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with what he's in love with. When you get to know him, you spend time with him, and, and you're, re, you're giving your life to him, you start picking up on what he loves. You find yourself compelled to love your neighbor. And remember that word, I described it last week and broke it down. It's in reference to those that are around you, not literally next to you. As you fall deeply in love with Jesus, you'll love what he loves because the love of Christ is in you. You're salty. Jesus said, then let your salt be seen before men that they may see the good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He doesn't say let your salt shine before men so they can see how intense your spiritual passion is. Don't let it shine so they can see the number of times you go to church. No, they know that they might see your good deeds that they might see your actions you see it's not all about good deeds it's all about faith and grace when we have faith and grace grace produces something in us and james describes it like this in james 2 4 what good is it brothers and sisters if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions can that kind of faith save anyone and then he goes on, and I'll just make a modern-day parable of what he said. Let's say you run into someone on a cold winter's night, and they're in a T-shirt and pair of shorts, and they say, can you help me? And you say, yes, let me pray for you, my brother. And you pray over them and walk away. What good does that do? So James said, you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. In other words, now when you pray for somebody, then now your faith is stirred, your love for Jesus is there, so you just automatically take off your coat. You give them your jacket. And some would say, well, I just bought that jacket. I want to go get them an old one. No, you, you, you even look beyond that. You just give them what you have to meet the need immediately. Most people in the food industry will tell you the worst time to work is Sundays because church people come in, they're hard to please, and they don't tip very well. I just wonder if we're missing an opportunity to pinch a little salt. They know you've been to church. They hear you talking. And then you don't leave a tip or you're hard on them. I, I think God really tests us sometimes. We'll, we'll have somebody that waits on you, and they're having a bad day, and he's testing you to see how you're going to treat them. I'll give you a good example because I think a good tip is like salt being used to flavor. You saw the story a few minutes ago with Nicholas, the young man uh, that, that, that has been just, just was baptized. He, he's a server in a restaurant that I go in quite a bit. I didn't know his backstory. I just knew he went to church here. He calls me pastor, and I, I didn't know his backstory. I, you have no idea the backstory is somebody that's serving you. And then you want to be critical and you want to be a jerk or you want to not leave a tip or you want to leave one of those cheesy $20 tr tip tracks that, you know, they think they got a tip and they read it. They don't read it when they see it's not a, a tip, okay? I'm just telling you. Am I talking to the right group here? Okay, so that, that's the, we're not helping anybody there. We're missing out on an opportunity. And listen, these are little things everybody can do. The text says when you do that, it reflects your Father in heaven. And we're trying to get people to notice the father in heaven with a little pinch of salt most of us love salt most of us put it on everything now i brought with me a ribeye and uh i know you want some of it i've already promised it to somebody and you know that you know a little of this enhances the flavor of that right yeah a little salt but do you know why salt enhances the flavor of food i mean really and truly i mean when you bite into that you don't say man this salt is so good 
No, this steak is just so good. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me before. But, you know, somebody goes before you and they loosen the top of the salt shaker. And so, you know, you're going to put that little bit of salt right there and... Uh-oh. Now who wants it? <laughs> That's enough to make a preacher cuss right there. <laughs> now all of a sudden what you were excited about is ruined. I just wonder if, if we think mentally that we need to go in and do something dramatic all at once. Go in and, and hand out these massive tracts, point your finger in their face, and all this kind of stuff. When, 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 then we do that one big deal, and it, it doesn't work, and we say, oh, this salt thing doesn't work. So I'm just going to pe- preach hellfire and brimstone. Maybe what you did was pour too much salt, not enhancing the flavor, but you ruined it. See, out of our faith will come good deeds, where you shake a little salt, you enhance the flavor of God to the world around you, and there's nothing you can do to accumulate enough good works to earn your salvation but faith and good works go hand in hand maybe we need to get away from the idea that we need to win the world by the weekend maybe it's just something that it's a lifestyle and regularly we are enhancing the flavor of god wherever we go whoever we talk to whoever we encounter and here's why salt is not about salt it's about food salt's not about salt it's about the food if you put too much salt on the food that's bad it may kill you (laughs) But if you just put the right amount, it makes the food taste better. The power of God is in us. It comes from Christ Jesus working through us. His grace and power produces works in us. It's him that's active and alive. So let's be who we are. Who are we? Light and salt. In other words, so that people will see light and salt and they'll say, who are those people? Who are those people with red shirts on? Who are those people? What are they doing? But understand, God doesn't do anything important with man without a covenant our salvation through jesus christ is because of a blood covenant but there's another covenant in the old in the old testament called the salt covenant in second chronicles 13 and 5 should you not know that the lord god of israel gave the dominion over israel to david forever to him and his sons it's a generational thing that's being passed down by by a covenant of salt See, salt has value in the scripture. It was used for wages. When they said, you're not worth your salt, you're not worth your wages. You didn't work. Salt was also the basis of a peace offering in the Old Testament. The peace offering was given with salt. Your speech is to be seasoned with salt. And God puts his flavor on salty, loyal people. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. So yes, we should be people that we care by serving with action with no strings attached but i think it's now time to start using salty words to bring about peace so i, w- I want to show you something in a minute let me explain first the types and shadows i was talking about a couple months ago but before i knew the change in all of this i saw something in our community i even told our guys out front i said hey i want us to do this so what I'm going to show you is a type and shadow. I hope you can follow me. Because God laid this out to me. and He's unfolded this over the last few weeks. So uh, I, I want to show you something. I, I, this is a, a pic of, of something uh, that was in our community. And if you're familiar with the Eastern Shore Center uh, that's 
and, and probably every campus you've been to the Eastern Shore Center, you know there's a road that goes around behind it and comes out by Publix, goes over on 31, and this road has, has meat, little islands in, in the road. And so a, a couple of months ago, I started noticing how bad they look. Because I'll show you an example. You, you'll see right here how bad. That's, just leave that up for just a second. So that's how bad they look. But if you look in front of Dillard's, it's manicured and perfect over by Belks and front of Publix. Everything's manicured. And so now I don't know this. This is in my mind. And if you know the right answer, I don't need to know the right answer because this is just a type and shadow that God gave me. And you'll see where I'm going with it in a minute. But okay, so I'm thinking, okay, th this is crazy. Everything looks so nice. You got all these weeds and everything's growing out of control. And, 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 and I just thought, okay, well, the, 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 this, the Eastern Shore Center, they're not doing it and the city's not doing it and nobody's doing it. Nobody's maintaining and everything else. So everybody's pointing fingers. No, you do it. It's your job. Not my job. You do it. And, and, and so th this, this picture, and, and I'll, I'll show you very quickly here what, what it looked like after our guys got a hold of it. They started at 6.30 in the morning, and, and they, they got about half of those islands done and, and cleaned out. They did a great job. So who's supposed to maintain it? And, and by the way, the way it looked before hurts the look, the, 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 the environment of that center. It's horrible. And somebody driving in the first time may notice it, or a person like me may notice it. Because it's like, this makes no sense. So somebody's saying, I'm not going to do it, and you're not. So nobody did it. So it, it's, it's grown up. And understand that these islands were planned. Uh, an architect, uh, a landscape architect probably designed it, and it, and it has the mixture of different bushes and, and, and types of, 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 of grasses and, and ground covers and trees all mixed in. It was all laid out, a sprinkler system there. Somebody, somebody just did, hasn't maintained it. And, and, and so, you know, th this is what I got out of this, okay? It's, it, it's like our God, our creator planned for the landscape of our community to look according to his design different plants, different people, different color, different races, d d different ideas. I mean, come on. He didn't create us all the same in, in looks and in culture and in dynamics and personality. We're all different. And he said, this is what the culture looks like in America. Because you got one group over here that's pointing their fingers and blaming it on this, and you got another group on the other side saying, oh, no, that's not my job. That's your job. You're going to blame it on this. And so what the creator has created, you can't see the effects of what it's supposed to look like. You can't see the fruit. You can't see the growth. You can't see the production because it's not being maintained. So let me tell you in the spiritual who's supposed to maintain that. The church. The church is. Really? I thought it was the government should fix this. I thought the president should fix this. I, I thought these people should just get over it. I thought these people should repent. The, you know, no, 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 no. We're, we're all off base. It's the church's responsibility to maintain this. Uh, th there's a friend of mine. He's, he's about my age, and, and he, he's a black man, and, and, and I've known him about five years, and I ran into him the other day, and I said, hey, how's this race thing going on? How, how are you dealing with all this? And he said, you know, I am so sick and tired of the cycle uh, okay, you know, we repent, we do better, and there's a little season, then it comes back, and we do better, and we come back, and we do better. Here's what he's saying. It's not being maintained. It's not being maintained. Nobody wants to maintain it. We just want to point fingers. We want to cast responsibility to somebody else. It's the church's responsibility. I'm sorry. We're, we are the light, and we're the salt. And, and so what, what I want you to see is that, that you know, 
uh, act, we took action. We got it cleaned up, most of them. But in two or three months, it's going to look the same thing, look like the same thing. So, you know, we, we as the church, we should have actions of love. But to me, I think it's time for some salty words. For most of us, our emotional response to hurts and fears in the culture is so simplistic. Remember what it means to reduce a matter to a false simplicity by ignoring the other factors. Because the closer you get to the problem, the more complex it becomes because you see the actual facts. We don't know the facts regarding racial situations in every person. The average white person doesn't understand what's, what's happened in the, in the life of a black person. The average person walking the street doesn't understand the life of, of, of a policeman or person in authority. You know, we, 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 we don't know that. So instead of ignoring it, why can't we in love respond simply, remember the definition, an original order of innocence without confusion? Why, why, why can't we, in, instead of sitting back and hoping somebody does something that smooths it out a little bit and it goes a few years or, or whatever and it gets better, why can't, can't, why can't we maintain it? Why, why can't we go up to people that, that we know? Now, you may not want to do this to a stranger, but, but somebody you know that's black or, 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 or what, any color, and you say, listen, I, I don't understand. I, I, I can't relate, but God can, and I love you, and I've got your back, and I'm praying for you, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a salt covenant with you. I'm going to tell you this, our creator, he's not a tree hugger, and he's not looking down on this earth looking to see how well we're grooming this earth. He's looking down on this earth to, how, to see how well all the people he created are getting along and loving and advancing his assignment on the earth. And the church needs to repent. We need to repent. And I know, I, listen, I, 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 you know, we use the term eggshells or the elephant in the room. I, I'm not going to use that term. I'm, I'm going to use the the, the grown-up island in the drive over at Eastern Shore Center. Just, it's just there. It's, it's ugly. It doesn't even fit. This is so ugly. It doesn't even fit in the context of God's love and God's church. The church needs to rise up. So what I want us to do, I want us to move out and make a covenant of assault within the church. I want us to start making and offering peace offerings. I want you to start using salty words. Love, confirmation, not judgment, not criticism. I want you to quit listening to talking heads because they're paid to talk to stir you up. I want you to start listening to the Word of God. I want you to start praying. I want you to start hearing God. Because when you do, you're going to have the love of God. And all of a sudden, when you talk to someone and you pray with someone, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the prayer to pray for them. And you don't even know what they're walking through, but the Spirit does. And for God's sake, don't just dump out a whole box of salt. We had one of our groups at an event yesterday. We had a little tent deal. We were giving away free lemonade. Next door, we got a group. And, and I don't know who they are. don't want to know who they are. But it's, they were fe preaching hellfire and brimstone. Got the protest signs up saying, you know, you're going to hell if you don't repent. And, and I don't know how many of you that would convict you. But that doesn't convict me. That makes me mad. It's like, 
who in the world? Anyway, that's another pet peeve. So let me get off of that. So, so our, guys, our guys go over at first, try to talk to them, and it was a little rigid. But before the day's over, they're over at our tent. Oh, oh, before the day's over, they're encountering some love of Jesus. They need a little love of Jesus. How do you enter into a salt covenant? In the Old Testament, men would carry a pouch, and it was a little leather pouch, and it had, it had salt in it, and they kept it on their belt. They had it for two reasons. One, they had it for cramps in the heat, in the, in the, in the Middle East, the heat. And then if they wanted to enter into a salt covenant with somebody that they're working with or fighting with, they took a pinch of the salt, and, and, and they, they opened their pouch they take a pinch of their salt out, and then the, the, person, the other guy's got a salt, and he takes some of his and put it in his, and he takes some and put it in his, and they close the little thing back, and they shake it. Why'd they do that? Because the only way you break a salt covenant is you have to go back in your pouch and take out the other person's salt and give it back to them. Yeah. In the seat back in front of you or under your chair, there's a pouch like this for you. It's yours. What I'm giving you is salt. If you're a believer, I'm giving you salt, and, 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 and this is the salt of the church. And all that's needed to enter a salt covenant as a church is to take some of your salt and add it to the pouch of somebody else's salt and shake it. And what we're going to do in just a minute, and I, I, I know this, uh, th- this is a, a little risky, but I'm asking you not to leave the room because I'm not finished. I want to ask you to take a pinch of your salt. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody in here that did you wrong. Maybe it's somebody in here you don't like. Maybe it's a person of color. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that. It can just be between you and your spouse. But I want our church to enter into a salt covenant. I want us to mix our salt grains together that we are going to be light and we're going to be salt and we're going to start using our words of prayer and affirmation and uplifting and loving people and quit trying to figure them out, quit second-guessing them. That's a good place for you to say amen. amen. You just missed it because you're trying to figure out how to get in that pouch, aren't you? <laughs> so I want you to stand, open your pouch, take just a little pinch, please. Don't, 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 don't dump the whole thing, okay? It takes too long to vacuum. Uh, but just a little pinch, and then I want you to find someone that may be with you. It may be somebody else. It may be a friend. It doesn't matter, but I want you to go and say, I, I, I want to make a covenant with you that I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to use my words of affirmation and confirmation to people that I come in contact with. I'm going to start being salty wherever I go. Go ahead and do it. I love this group. They're using words. The other group, just, they whispered. Man, I love those salty words. Go ahead. And guys, if it's your wife, you may want to just tell them, you know, you're going to help do the dishes more or something. I don't know, you know. Or tell them how beautiful they are or something. I don't know. All right, you salty people. I want to pray for you. 
You've just made a commitment to let your words be seasoned with salt and not to let words come off your lips that are not loyal to one another. You realize that if we're believers, we're all going to be in heaven. Now, how's that going to work out? I'm talking about that next week. How's that going to work out? Well, I have an idea. It's not God's idea, but I have an idea, but I'm, I can, I'll tell you next week. So anyway, I want to pray for you because, yes, we should give out showing our actions by giving out to our community, but we should also give out with words seasoned with salt. everybody even those guys that are in prison God loves them made bad choices but God loves them even the people that we're afraid of on the other side of the world God loves all of them so even putting our words against those people it's time for the church to be salt and light it's time for the church to take the responsibility to maintain the main boulevard and make that so attractive that the love of God is seen from all over the world right here in our country we have the best country in the world but right now we're all pointing fingers and we all think it's about this and it's about that no it is a spiritual matter and when the church becomes spiritual things will start changing in the spiritual because we are the force that can keep the darkness we bring the light into it and the light means the love of God are, are, are y'all with me? <laughs> Father, we come before you as a church making a salt covenant with you that we will continue to have actions of love and giving out to people and serving people in our country and other countries. But now, Lord, we're going to go one step further. We're not going to be intimidated by the, the, the elephant in the room. We're not going to be intimidated, but in love and with salty words, we're going to bless we're going to encourage, we're going to lift up because, Lord, you are our creator and we want to look like your design. So we take the responsibility in our house, in our community, and it will affect our nation by doing this. So I pray your blessings on us and let the love of God permeate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.